Appreciate you very much. Thank you so much, you guys. All right. This, uh, I wanted to just tell you a couple of things before we go into the message. Uh, we're going to do Exodus chapter 3 today. We're kind of making our way through. And um, uh, Ken filled in last week for me fantastically, by the way. And, uh, but I, I, yeah, yes, absolutely. Let's thank for Pastor Ken. And, um, but we, we messed up. Well, I messed up, <laughs> to be clear. He's doing chapter four because I was supposed to be done with chapter three a long time ago. So now we're doing chapter three. So if you're confused, just think of it like Star Wars because have you ever watched Star Wars and I don't know what's a prequel and a sequel anymore. Like, it doesn't matter. It's, just some, it's before something and after something else. Exodus chapter three. It's the story of Moses and the burning bush and uh, one of the more famous stories in the Bible. So we'll begin in the first verse. Um, by the way, before I read, I mean, this video you saw, if you don't know, that was my daughter, and I had asked her after church on Sunday, she comes down and shows me her papers, and I said, what did you learn? You know, as you do as a parent, right? What did you learn at school? What? And she's just started rattling off for me, you know, well, there's two houses, Dad. One was built on the sand. One was built on the rock. There was a storm. She told me the whole story, and uh, I was so amazed that, I, man, I wish I had my phone. And so I asked her a couple hours later if she could repeat it, and she did. And then she did it later on that night, and she still knew the whole story. So we decided to share it with you because isn't it amazing what our Kids World team is doing for these young lives down there? I mean, she just telling me the story. Um, I don't know if there could be a more rewarding uh, volunteer opportunity. So if you'd love to uh, change a child, um, man, I sure appreciate it. I know that. Thank you guys for what you do. Exodus 3.1. Now Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led that flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So we start here. Moses has killed um, an Egyptian and he's fled um, because the Pharaoh was going to kill him for killing the Egyptian. Remember that part of the story? And he tried to bury him in the sand, but someone found out about it and it got all the way to Pharaoh. And so he took off. Now Moses was 40 years old when he killed that Egyptian and when he fled. And there's a lot to say about that, you know, because um, Moses obviously had a heart for, uh, for fairness, for justice, for the, the underdog, for the, this oppressor beating this, uh, uh, e- this Egyptian, beating um, this slave down, and so he defended him. But he wasn't doing it God's way. And he, he got ahead of himself. And so have you ever done that you, where you, you, uh, you kind of got out of sequence? Like you had a heart to do something that was good, but your timing wasn't right. Or like it says in Proverbs, um, it says, you know, zeal without knowledge is not good. Anybody ever have zeal without knowledge? Like you were, you were, you were ready to do the right thing, but you really didn't know what you were doing yet. And uh, Moses didn't quite know what he was doing yet. He needed a little more uh, training, a little more time. So 40 years, he kills this man, and then he flees. 
And he, we learn that he was at the well, and he, he, and he defends these, these girls at the well. They had seven daughters, and they go and meet the dad, and the dad gives Moses one of the girls as his wife. That's where we are. This is now 40 years after that. Why? Well, well first of all... Um, You'll note that the, word, that the number 40 is important in the scripture. So it was 40 years old when he killed the Egyptian. It's 40 years um, later that he's been tending sheep and working for his father-in-law. Anybody have a job you hate? I'm not saying he hated it. I'm just saying, I'm just curious. 40 years of tending sheep for his father-in-law. Now, when you think about this for a minute... Um, 40 years, by the way, is used over and over and over again in the Exodus story itself. Moses goes to the mountaintop to meet with God for 40 days. They send spies into the promised land for 40 days. When they come back and they they follow the bad report, they wander in the wilderness for another 40 days. Years, so you'll you'll see that either this is just one heck of a coincidence, or the 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 authors they're trying to say something, and in the scripture they would use numbers to say something. What does forty mean? It's a time of testing. Remember, Jesus goes into the wilderness for forty days. It's a time of testing, and there's testing to kind of see what you're made of. Anybody ever go through a time of testing in your life? Now, what you want to do in a time of testing, you and I, is we want it to be short. Like, happy for a little test, let's make it quick. And what does God usually do? Make it, why? Because you can't learn much in five minutes. Uh, Being a shepherd for the father-in-law for 40 years. Now, think about this. We were talking about this earlier. Moses is brought up. He's educated uh, in the Egyptian household, in the Egyptian ways. And then he goes out from... Now, unless you think these Egyptians were uh, just kind of backwoods, you know, these are the guys that built the pyramids. So he is being educated in the system where they... Anybody built a pyramid lately? This is, and, and now he is in the prime household, so he's getting the prime education of one of the most sophisticated societies that humanity had ever seen. And in some sense, if you've ever studied the pyramids, you might say, to, the, to this day, engineering marvel. So he's studying mathematics and engineering and all kinds of things. And then he goes from 40 years of that to 40 years of following sheep in the desert. The first 40 years he grows up, right? The first 40 years he's growing up. But the second 40 years he's maturing. How many know there's a difference between growing up and maturing? You know, we got a lot of people that are growing up, but not as many maturing. It's true. It takes something different. You can go and take all the math classes that you want, but you don't mature. You just know more. So what do you learn for 40 years following sheep in the desert? First of all, it's boring. You just don't read anything exciting about 
being a shepherd. Um, that's, in fact, that's Charlie's new word, dad, I'm bored. Like, you just woke up. You just woke up, I'm bored. And she learned it somewhere. Vicky was asked, where did you learn that? Who taught you to say that? I'm bored. This is so boring. And, and now this is taking forever. This is what she's saying all the time now. To which I'll reply, good. I plan on boring you the rest of your life. Boring is good. Oh, you didn't like that one. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Boring is good. Why, why is it good? I don't know. It forces you to find something else. I mean, we are the anti-bored society. You know that. We always have something to keep us from being bored, keep us from thinking deeply. God forbid you thought deeply. God forbid you were alone with your thoughts for a minute because you need all these other thoughts coming into your head all the time, right? Just, just, just like, uh, like, like on a sugar rush of thoughts from everywhere instead of like, first of all, being a shepherd is boring. Just sit there. Remember David? He was a shepherd. He got really good with the sling. Why? Because you just sit there and watch the sheep eat and you just Missed the tree again. Missed again. After a while, what? Hit that little bush. Hit that tree. Then he could hit it, the branch he wanted to hit. Right? You can get really good at a few things if you're bored. But the biggest thing that can happen with if you're bored is you can change. You can change. I don't think we change as much when we're, when we're just all hopped up on entertainment there were no PlayStations in the desert. Moses is just there with the sheep. Ordinary, hard work. I'm not sure who it was attributed to. Remember, they talked about hard work. And that they said, you know, the, the saying is hard work would never kill a man, but I don't want to find out. Hard work, just walking in the desert. Not only that, but it's worth noting, if you read the Genesis part of the story, like when, when Joseph's family moves to Egypt, how they first got there, um, when they come in, Moses tells them, tell the Pharaoh that you're shepherds, because if, you're, if he knows that you're shepherds, he'll give you a place to live in a place called Goshen, because the Egyptians despised shepherds. They were despised. Now, just think about it for a minute. In fact, there's a scene in the Genesis story where um, Joseph decides to eat with his brothers, and they separate them from all the... They won't even eat in the same room with them. They were considered... This is another word, by the way. I don't know why. Charlie says all the time now, disgusting. <laughs> now, think about this. Let's go back. He's educated, and he, he's got all of this knowledge. I mean, just... I mean, just think of how, you know, just think, I mean, just think of how arrogant you are with your little bumper sticker. Your kid's the smartest kid in your school. <laughs> I mean, just think of how arrogant you are. I mean, just think of, like, how puffed up. I mean, just think of how proud he is. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> We're proud they're an honor roll student, too. All right? We're all proud. He's an honor roll student. He's in the, and then he goes over here. And not only is he bored, but this was 
what he grew up despising. These people are disgusting. Anybody ever get humbled in life? Well, that'll do something to you, won't it? All of his life, these people are disgusting. Now for 40 years to put food on the table, he lives a boring, dull, disgusting, ordinary life. And what does God do for those 40 years? He prepares him. Why? Because you can't lead people if you can't lead sheep. That's for sure. How in the world is God going to hand him an assignment like leading a bunch of cranky, cantankerous, ungrateful, right? People out of a, out of a land of slavery to a promised land if he can't even manage the sheep. So what happens? And you'll, you'll see this, I think, like Jesus would talk about this. Like in Luke, he says, you know, if you're faithful with a little, God will make you ruler over much. Isn't this true? Like, you, you know, you don't just hand your kid the keys to the Ferrari, right? You start with the big wheel. Who had a big wheel? With the brake? You didn't have one of those? There's three wheels. There's all plastic. Except for a couple of metal. Okay. And if you really got going downhill, a brake, you could pop it right there and slide it. And if you can master the big wheel, then you can get a mini bike. And then you go from the mini bike. How many know where I'm going? You just don't throw them the keys of the Ferrari. You, you, you start. Moses has so far to go. Forty years to grind. How many? How many just wish God would hurry up preparing you? Says God, could we just microwave this thing? Nope. I was going to go slow. And by the time Moses is ready, something amazing happens. It says he came to the mountain of God. He was just walking along one day. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. An angel appears to him, and it, there is this bush, and it's on fire, but it's not burning up. And so Moses decides, I better go take a look at this thing. You know, I better go see what's going on. To me, this is, now, now we, we look back, and we think of Moses, well, he, you know, he was godly, he, was, he brought us the Ten Commandments, we're going to get to all that, but this is just a, an a guy who grew up in Egypt who had a really unusual childhood, and he thinks he's Egyptian and later has to renounce it, starts to feel empathy with his people. We don't exactly know. We don't exactly know. Was the mom able to sneak some knowledge in about his true identity? It does, it's unclear. But what we, what we know about Moses is that he grew up in this environment and then God had to prepare him for something else, but he doesn't have a Christian, he doesn't have a Jewish education. In other words, he doesn't know God. He's just a shepherd walking around. And he sees a bush that's on fire. 
and it's burning, but it's not consumed. And he goes to have another look. To me, this is the importance of being open and curious in your life. And may I go off the side a little bit and talk to some people who are throwing God out of your life. Maybe you know someone. Maybe you're here. You know, like when you get to college, it's, becomes very, it's very fashionable. Like in college, you know, you go to college, and then you get the one professor or the six professors nowadays, that, and, and the first thing they do is tell you how stupid the Bible is. And they go through, and they show you all these things. Anybody been to that class? No? I mean, they might go to college. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just, if you, that's what they do. They tell you how stupid the Bible is and how dumb your pastor was. First semester. They should just label it that because that's pretty much what they do. Here's how dumb your pastor is and how stupid the Bible is. And they go through and they just go through all these things. Which I would love to be in that class. For, you know, like if you had a rebuttal. <laughs> but it's, it's the, the increasingly secular way of, like, let's get rid of God. Let's, let's get rid of all these constraints and all these ridiculous ideas. No. I've said many times, and by the way, the reason I started Orchard Grove is to try to be a little different. I, I, I don't think the church has always gotten it right, to say the least. And by the way, not this church either, just to be fair, right? Um, but that's not the point. The point, as I've said over and over again, is you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because you find something that's not perfect or not, all you got with the church are a bunch of humans, even the pastor. They're just all a bunch of humans. They're all a little messed up. Can you turn the lights up a little bit? Because I got to see if I'm even connecting here. I don't know if I'm even, I have no idea. Oh, you, I, didn't, I thought there was like six people here. Well, welcome. Thank you very much for the lights. Um, and, and so, <laughs> I think what's happening is this, to this day, you know, you could try to burn, burn out God, but the bush is just going to not be consumed. I think that's what's going on. I, I, think, I think secular America, they're just trying to torch it, but God just sits there, just, that's not going to work. The fire just keeps burning and burning and burning, and they keep waiting. When are people going to give up on God, and the bush just keeps going? I think never. But I proved this, and I showed this, and I... And here's the thing. Moses has this curiosity for something that's transcendent. He didn't go to church. There was no church. There were no synagogues. All he had was his sheep in the wilderness. But if you're open, and that's the key thing. Can I say it's the difference between those that connect with God and those that don't? It's not because, oh, this guy found a really clever argument. Oh, this guy found something in a science book. Oh, this guy found a, a Bible verse that didn't match up with another Bible. Are you open? This is all it is. Are you closed? And you have all your reasons that you'll name that you're closed, but for some reason your heart is closed to God. And that's you. That's what you have to decide. My heart's open to God. Or my heart is close to God. That's it. Moses was curious. I got to see what's going on with that bush. You know what I say? Follow your curiosity to God. Don't let people tell you. 
Don't let people tell you what you should believe and what you shouldn't believe. Don't follow the trends of the culture. Make up your own mind. Follow the, because you know what I think that curiosity, I think that resides inside of every single, this is what I believe. I believe it's down here inside of every single person, this thing to know God. And you just have to make the decision, am I open to that or am I closed to that? That might be for somebody that you know. Moses said, I'm going to go see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. That's the statement. That's the one. I'm, I'm here, Lord. Yes. That's the one that Mary gave, remember? I'm the Lord's servant. May it be. That's what Jesus said. That's what Isaiah said. Here I am, Lord. Send me. It's the, I, I'm, I'm available. I'm curious and I'm open and then I'm available. By the way, I don't think God introduced himself to Moses just so that he could tell Moses he was around. He introduced himself to Moses because he had something for Moses to do, which we're going to see. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy ground. You know, there's something in me that wishes for more reverence in life in general. Now, this is coming from the pastor that, you know, wears jeans at church and da-da-da, we have coffee. And, because I think we can, we can worship the wrong stuff. And I think perhaps the church did or whatever. But I think then sometimes it, it, the pendulum swings so far that people lose the sense of reverence. Do, do you get what I mean by sense of reverence? Like, there needs to be a few sacred things. Uh, I was at, I was... Uh, I was a youth pastor, and we were at a church, and our church was selling our building to move into another building, and there was a, a mosque that was in the former building, and so I had to go back in there for some reason, and when I walked in, I had never, I had, never had this experience before, and right at the door, you had to take off your shoes. Well, I never had that experience in a, in a religious setting before. It, it does something to you. Like, whoa, whoa. there's a big pile of, and can you imagine? Uh, the big pot. I mean, think about it. Like all of a sudden, wait, wait a minute. We're all maybe you aren't rushing around as much. You know, you might stub your toe. Maybe you you you, you walk differently. You, you're you're different. It, it was funny, but it fundamentally changed me. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. You, I mean, could you imagine? You're probably how do I say? You're probably a little more humble. I don't know why, but you just feel like. I was listening to a couple of scholars, and they were, they were talking about, they said, this is, a, this is an echo back to the Genesis story. This is back to the Garden of Eden where they made the coverings for themselves, you know. And, and this, is, this is going back, back to when you were completely vulnerable. The other day, we were, I was down in, in, in Florida, and, uh, and uh, 
lady across the street came over to me because I was in my bare feet as I often am. And she goes, you might want to put some shoes on. She goes, there's some nasty ants around here that are going to tear your feet apart. He's like, shoes, they protect us so we're not vulnerable. So God wants Moses to be vulnerable. You can't change if you're not vulnerable. You can't change if you already know everything. This is a stripping away. Oh, this is brutal stuff. But the only way God can really get to us is he's got to strip us down. I mean, what do you think when they go to boot camp, where they're screaming at these kids? They haven't even done anything. They just scream at them. They just tear them apart, right? Has anybody ever seen the movies? I've never been. I'm, I have no room to talk, all right? Huh? Some of our military guys I've seen in here, and, and gals, I'm sure, yep. But huh? you get on that bus, and they, they just tear you apart. Why are they just stripping you down? You think you're something, you're nothing, you're a piece of... I can't say it because I'm a pastor, but they say a lot of things. They just tear you down, they strip you down. All your macho, all your, oh, you're cool, your earring, your hair, oh, look, I got blue hair. Nothing. You're nothing. Not because you want to leave somebody there. You never want to leave somebody there. So you can build them back the way they need to be built. You can't be built right if you haven't been taken down yet. You know? Take those shoes off. This is holy ground. We're not messing around here. I I do. I worry about that. I don't think there's enough holiness, sacredness. I've said so many times, like, I didn't start Orchard Grove because I wanted to make, give you a place to check off where you went to church so you could feel guilty or not guilty. I don't, I don't see God as an attendance chart, but for your own good. For your good. Not for God's happiness or sadness with you. Did I make myself clear? But for your good. You need sacredness in your life. You need a day when you stop making money and thinking about stuff and things. And you sit here and you let God strip you down a bit. So he can get to you. Otherwise, you just barricade in your stuff. You know, you just hide out there. Take your shoes off. This is... This is holy ground. And um, <clears throat> he said, I'm, I'm the God of your fathers. Because he, God's like introducing himself. Moses is clueless. So you got, you got to get here. We don't have any education at this point. We don't have any church background. We have no Jewish background. We have nothing. It's just he grew up Egyptian. And then he's a shepherd. And he says, I'm, I'm the God from your fathers. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Um, this, is a, this is an okay pattern. Many of you heard me talk about this, that people have taken the fear of God thing way too far, and they have, in my, in my opinion. But it doesn't hurt to start with a little reverence. It doesn't hurt to start with a little reverence. And then he draws you near. Because over and over again, Jesus would say, fear not, fear not. But they start with reverence. They start with overwhelming. Remember, Jesus calms the storm and they're terrified. Who's got that much power? 
That's the whole, isn't that the whole mystery mix of like how it works in a family? Like you got one that's just, you're just terrified. Wait till your dad gets home. No. Please God. Anybody? Does anybody know? No one ever did that? You got to move with the belt, bro. You got to move with, you got to sway. Bro, you got to sway. You don't just stick it out there firm. Huh? Nobody has any idea what I'm talking about? That's it. All right. I mean, sway, brother, sway. Wait till he gets home, you know? Good cop, bad cop. And sometimes it's the opposite. You know what I mean? Like dad's the softy, right? Mom walks in the door, like, this thing's going to be good. But what am I trying to say? I think I was, th- what, this, is, this is a terrifying moment. I can't even look. Listen, by the way, before, when we get to the end, is this is what's so beautiful. He's going to say, Moses and God talked face to face as a man would talk to a friend. Well, let me put it another way. You know that one teacher that you didn't respect because they had no discipline, no, it was just a zoo in their classroom? No one had that teacher either? I thought for sure I'd connect today with somebody. Like, you're just like, this is a joke. God ain't no joke. It's this incredible, mysterious mix of holiness and friendship. Face to face. As a man talked with his friend. And then by the end of the, by the, end of the book where we get to it, it's just gonna be, you can see God and Moses like this. Really. From this... That's powerful. John 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. I don't think it hurts to show up saying, yes, sir. You know? Won't hurt you. You know what I mean? Like you get off the bus with the drills, yes, sir, sir. Hey, bro. I I wouldn't lead with that. I heard one person say this. It made a lot of sense to me. They said, you start with reverence and you find, you find your way to intimacy. I liked that. It made sense to me. You know, like, like my dad, you know, and like, like, God bless him. You know, I miss him so much and I think, you know, I mean, no one loved me ever in the world like, like that man loved me. But I never said bro. It just wasn't, that wasn't going to happen. There was no bro. There was no dude. There was no, hey, man. I have a profound love for him. It can't be measured. This is a calling that Moses gets. And this is the setup. And he's going to give him a task of a lifetime, and I ran out of time. But we'll, we'll, do, we'll do it next week, I guess. He's going, to get the, he's going to get the assignment of a lifetime. 
but God had to get him ready. It was 40 years of monotony and preparation and being faithful with little things and taking care of sheep and being smelly and doing disgusting things. By the way, that's all okay. You know, all the stuff that you've been through, all the jobs that you've had, all the, none of it's wasted. God doesn't waste any of it. Isn't that good? Whatever you've been through, it's not a waste. God just takes it. He's like, I'll just put that into the, I'll just make that part of you. And then he's going to set him up for this task. And he has this, this, this holy moment. We'll pick it up next week. Um, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. And I want you to think about this because this is the week. Um, Wednesday starts um, Lent. And it's 40 what? 40 days. Do something for yourself. You can call it, you're doing it for God, fine. Do something for yourself for Lent. Think about it. You got like a few days. Think about it. What, what should I do? Please, dear God, somebody get past chocolate, please. Can we, can we be a little more imaginative? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to rain on your parade or whatever, but, you know, please, something more. It could be something you're adding. It could be something that you're deleting. Do you think all this stuff is accidental? Do you know how long, do you know how long a baby is in the mother's womb for not nine months, for 40 weeks? I read a whole article last night. This doctor just went off. He's so sick of people talking about nine months. He goes, it's not nine months. It's 40 weeks. He goes, I'm, I'm going to lose that battle. I know because it's in culture. It's nine months. He goes, it's 40 weeks. But guess what? 40 is what it takes for something new to be birthed in your life. And ask a psychologist. Ask them. They will tell you if you want to break a habit, you need at least, at least 28 days. 40 days will do it. This is the time to give birth to the new you. See, God was getting Moses ready to do this, and then he's got to get the people ready, and the whole thing's going to where? Where are we going? I didn't get to it. It's the next verse. The promised land, land of milk and honey. But God can't hand you. He goes, you're going to live in houses that you didn't build. You're going to have wells that were already dug. You're going to have, it's all sitting there for you, but I can't just hand, I can't just give you the keys to the Ferrari. God wants to get them there so they can be a blessing. That's why they're going to be there. Not so they can all sit around in hot milk bath so they can be a blessing. Do you know a lot of people can't give with their life? They can't give their time or their money or that because they're not healthy enough to give. Is this true? Like if you're not healthy enough physically, you can't lift over and help some. If you're not healthy enough financially, you can't. If you're not healthy enough, you know, emotionally, you can't listen to someone else's problem because you're just talking about yours. So God's getting you to the promised land. He's changing you. He's giving birth to someone new so that you can be that person. That's the, that's the whole journey of your life. That's the whole purpose of your life. Get to the promised land. Get to the place where you can give. Let God change you, you know. So what's communion about today? Yes, Lord, I want to change. I want to change.